So we're, we're in a little series called Earth, Dirt, and Gardens, Finding God in the Extraordinary Ordinary. And today uh, we're um, talking about praying out, outdoors, praying outdoors. So my goal is to kind of stimulate your imagination for the possibility of praying outside as like a go-to pr- place for, for praying. So I grew up with a very um, limited experience of people around me praying. Um, like, I, I don't think I saw people around me praying at, uh, in, in a, like a, what I think of now as a normal way. Actually, the same was true of exercise. Like in, the, in the 50s and early 60s, kids played and ran around outside, but I don't remember seeing like adults exercising. Like, I need to go out and exercise. And I, I don't think, I never thought of exercise or praying as like a coping mechanism, like something you would do to uh, help you get through the day or deal with the stress better or feel better. I just never, or I never thought that prayer would be something you'd do if you were a recovering alcoholic and that was, would be part of your recovery program was learning how to make some conscious contact with God. I think actually I experienced praying as it was like a specialty activity. So um, only on special occasions would um, my parents say grace, like pray before the meal, like someone, like the grandmothers had to be over. And then it was saying grace, which is like a specialty term for, for praying. Um, I can remember some very long and involved prayers, mostly by a minister at church, with a, but they all had like a special vocabulary and syntax, and it stuck with me. Therefore, with angels and all archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying. So it's like the specialty language and specialty way of, uh, meet, it is meet and right, so to do. I remember that phrase from... <laughs> From, I think this is the 1928 prayer book. So it was like a specialty activity. Um, the first time I witnessed someone praying in like a non-specialty way, it was very uh, memorable. Like uh, it was a friend of mine from high school. He was like a Jesus freak in the like 19, late 60s. He had a, the whole thing. I mean, a beard, and he kind of looked like uh, Jesus if Jesus grew up in, in Troy, Michigan, say. And. Uh, <laughs> And um, my, my uh, wife and I, Nancy, we were in um, married student housing on North Campus. We were quite young, and I think 18 at the time. We had Brian come up from Detroit, Northwest Detroit, where I grew up, to visit us. And I knew he was a Jesus freak and kind of like uh, um, on a lark or almost like to tease him. I said, hey, Brian, why don't you, why don't you pray for the meal? And like he didn't, he didn't miss a beat, and he just... He just started talking to God like God was his friend, and I, I was just so taken with that. I'd never heard that before. Um, the one thing I absolutely didn't think of as normal or, or even desirable was the idea of praying outside. So, yeah, you would play outside. You, you would go outside to get to another inside space like school, but you would never go outside to pray, like go for a walk to pray or sit in a park praying, or walk through a forest praying, or pray while you're watching the sunrise or the sunset. It was just outside my realm of the doable or the desirable. Um, one of the great guests of the Jewish people, 
to the world is interpreting the outside, the world, the, uh, what we call nature, um, as a temple. Actually, our own Emily Swan uh, got a, got a uh, grant from the Templeton Foundation, and part of what she did with the grant was develop a set of um, videos on the earth as God's temple. And it was uh, some work done by a scholar, um, John Walton, on Genesis 1 as a, the earth created as a temple was uh, situated in the ancient world. Those, uh, those videos are available, I think, on our uh, YouTube um, channel. I think we'll put them on the resources thing at uh, A2Blue pretty soon. Um, so you could use them in small groups. Really high, high quality, well done um, kind of thing. And it's this idea of the earth as a temple. Um, you know, if we actually regarded the earth as a temple or thought about the earth as a temple uh, and like in a, in a recurring way, the, imagine the feelings you might um, pay more attention to when you're outside. Kind of like if you've ever been to um, a European cathedral or like um, St. Paul's Cathedral in Detroit is maybe a little bit like that. Um, uh, there's some beautiful churches in town. St. Thomas has kind of really nice inside kind of thing. And, and when you're in one of those big cathedrals with the big vaulted ceilings and the stained glass windows and the sun streaming through in different colors, you, you know the feeling of just like, ooh, being there, a sense of like hushed awe and, and presence. That, that get, Wouldn't it be great to have those feelings when we're just outside? Because we think of the outdoors as God's temple. So that's what we'd like to kind of um, play around with today. And I thought a way to do that would be to take a quick tour of Jesus praying outside. So while Jesus was an observant uh, Jew, which means he, he had weekly communal um, you know, observance in the synagogue on the Sabbath, um, most of his what we would call personal praying, the praying that he did like by himself, uh, actually happened outdoors. So the uh, first occurrence in the Gospels is um, kind of an intense one. Um, Jesus is standing in a river and he's praying. This is Luke's Gospel. And it says, um, the Spirit alighted on him like a dove. And then there was a voice. And the voice said, you are my son in whom I delight. So this is very much like the Genesis 1 experience. There's water, there's spirit, and there's a voice. And so just imagine Jesus is immersed in water. It was water deep enough for him to be dipped into because it was a baptism happening, John's baptism. He feels the spirit come down on him like flutter-like, like a dove. And then there's a voice, and in Luke's Gospel, it's from how Jesus would have heard the voice, you are my son in whom I delight, which is really like a, like a childlike experience of, of the voice, you know, the parent delighting in the child. So Jesus would have had like an experience of being a child in that, in that moment. So you've probably had this experience um, where you're out, like um, when I worked in Milan, you could see the sky in Milan. In Ann Arbor, you can't see much of the sky around many places because the trees and everything, but the, the exit to Milan on, on US 23 is like vast open space. And so if there's like a storm coming through, the sky would just be, spectacular things would be going on in the sky in Milan that could not be seen 
from Ann Arbor. And when you see that kind of vastness, or maybe if you um, are sitting on uh, the um, side of Lake Michigan during a sunset, you might have this experience. Or maybe you're out, maybe you can remember being a kid swinging, and it's, um, it's late at night, and that the moon is not bright, so you can actually see like this clouds of stars called the Milky Way, and you have this sense of this really healthy, good sense of being small and being like, um, not insignificant, but just small in the overall context of the vastness of the universe. And there's something really reassuring and like healthy about that experience. Um, I imagine Jesus had that experience in his, in his baptism. So um, the same chapter, Mark 1, um, uses an, another uh, description of Jesus praying and it's the one we, uh, that uh, Avery read this morning and it's very early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed that's a poetic appealing verse to me um, just the rhythm of it very, we might use this for, I think, for meditation. Very later, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Jesus seemed to have a preference, like preferred outdoor spots. So he had like his praying spots, and his preferred outdoor spots, according to the gospel, seems to be like wilderness. So that, that part of the region of the Middle East, uh, there was desert all around. The cities would often be surrounded by a wilderness kind of desert region. So you have uh, Jesus and Mark earlier going out for 40 days of prayer in, in the wilderness. And he's with the wild beasts 40 days and 40 nights. And then Luke adds a little detail. He, uh, Luke says, Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. I'd like that image of Jesus like slipping away, you know, like if you've got a lot of kids around or, you know, you're in a party and you just had too many, too much people and you kind of like, you look for a spot to like slip away. It was like an indulgence, you know, he indulged himself in uh, praying. Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Um, I had a real desire to see the desert because I've never, I'd never seen desert before. And I knew that Jesus liked to pray in the desert. So when I went to, um, I went to James Rodenheiser's installation as a rector in the Episcopal Church when he moved from here to, um, to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, so I went, went to visit James and I said, we've got to go to the desert because we're in Arizona for heaven's sake. And so we just drove like about 20 minutes and we took a walk through like desert and it was so much more interesting and so different than I pictured like I don't know I thought of the English patient and like sand dunes or something no it was much more interesting than that it was like hilly and valleys and there was more going on in the desert like there were cactuses and and they had flowers on the cactuses and and there were trees with swarms of bees around them and like what's that and then if you looked up there would be hawks you could see hawks going around and it's like ooh, I want to come back here and try some it seemed uniquely um, set up for praying there was something about the desert and uh, 
Whatever kind of praying you would do in a space like that, you would definitely do with your eyes open. Because they're like snakes in the desert. And there's things you want to pay attention to. And there's, like, there's just enough stimulation to kind of to take your mind off what you're thinking about inside your head. It was just a glory. I want to go back to the desert and figure out a way to pray out there. Um, there's also um, more than one example of Jesus uh, praying on a mountainside. So here's one of those from Mark 6. Immediately... I like this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. So this is Jesus in his introvert mode. He's really had enough of people. And uh, Emily and I were talking about um, uh, our relative vacation experiences. And um, she talked about, I think she mentioned last time going to Rachel's uh, has a family has a cabin in Minnesota. It's like a small little cottage cabin. And on the Fourth of July, there were 40 relatives. And you know, imagine Emily is like the new, new to the family system, and so she has to work a little hard to like get to know everybody. And and she was just exhausted after like Fourth of July with 40 relatives. Uh, I we just had like a family reunion. We had 14 people in a like a largest house for like four or five days. You know, and it was just like. It, I felt so great seeing my family members who I don't normally see and it was so kind of delightful when everyone left you know it was like just like oh my gosh there's this, so much stimulation going on so Jesus is like this he's having this introvert moment and the text says he like he sent the disciples away like away from him and then he dismissed the crowd it's like everybody get out of here and then he went up on a mountainside and he prayed. Um, you know, there's something about, um, there's an interesting thing about the way Jesus was praying out. There's often a connection between the natural setting and what's going on in his praying. I think we'll see that a little more clearly in the Mount of Olives praying that he did. But um, certainly praying on a mountainside, I mean, it literally elevates your perspective, right? I mean, you have a perspective shift when you go up on a mountain and that's often what praying is meant to stimulate it's like a, a shift in perspective and often it's like a, a bigger perspective like not getting lost in the minutia of your life but like stepping back from it and getting like a a wide angle view of things going on even if that's just a feeling and I had I had an experience of this um, in a, like a mountainside praying thing I was um, I was in southern England a town called Bournemouth this is a party town actually and um, a friend of mine, a pastor friend, um, took me to the, where the um, Allied troops uh, launched for D-Day on the southern coast of England there. And uh, there's these high bluffs. So you walk up and then there'd be like a stiff, steep uh, cliff to the, to the sea. And <laughs> Rob Clark was like a charismatic pastor. He said, Ken, if you walk up those, that, those up to the top of that cliff, and you pause, God will speak to you. And I was like, oh, come on, Rob. You know, like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to do it. So I climbed up, and I was kind of like hoping to prove him wrong a little bit. Like, you know, but your, your you know, endorphins are going because you're climbing up this very stiff thing. And I get to this, I get to the top of the cliff, and it's steep down in the ocean, and it's a beautiful day, and I... I just paused and I said, well, God of Rob Clark, got anything to say? 
And, and I, I swear, I thought I heard, you're going to live a long life. You're going to live a long time. Which I didn't realize that, I, I think my father had died shortly before that. And uh, sometimes when you have a parent die, you kind of realize, oh, I'm next in line generationally. Like we're all going toward a cliff and then the, you're, you're fine as long as there's someone in front of you, you know, as <laughs> you're going to the cliff. But it, when like the person right in front of you generationally goes over, you're like, oh, I, I'm next. Gener I was having that kind of, I was having thoughts about my mortality. I think it was like 40 or something. And just hearing that just kind of relaxed me. Now, I don't know if that was actually God talking to me, if I'm going to live a long life. Because, like, you know, you do this enough, you kind of realize, like when uh, Nancy was pregnant with uh, our third child, I, I had gone out with some guys and I'd, I'd, I'd had more beer than I normally have, like two. And I have very low tolerance for alcohol. And I came back and Nancy was like super pregnant and she was lying on the bed and I lay down next to her and I put my hand on her, on her belly and I, I felt like I heard God say, the child shall be John Stewart Wilson. This is before John Stewart was known. And Stewart was spelled differently, S-T-U-A-R-T. And I was like, oh. And that was my daughter, Amy Wilson. <laughs> So it's like, you know, sometimes the magic works, sometimes it doesn't. But if, if you think that you've heard something from God like that, it still has a reassuring effect on you. And that experience going up the mountain frequently has like a reassuring effect on me when I'm like worried about my um, mortality. I had that experience praying on a mountain. Um, Fortunately, in a lot of urban settings, there are these things called uh, like pocket parks like, uh, or nature preserves, like uh, Manhattan. My sister lives in Manhattan, lucky me. And uh, <laughs> you can walk to Central Park. It's a beautiful, natural space. Um, Ann Arbor has the Arb. Um, Ypsilanti has what? Frog Island. There's, there's some... Where else? Prospect Park in, in, uh, in Ypsilanti. So there are these pocket parks in cities that people go to to experience nature. And in Jerusalem, there was a place called the Mount of Olives. I'm, I think Emily probably has been there. I'm gonna, you lived on the Mount of Olives or get out of town? Dang, I just read about this in Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> that the Mount of Olives is, is on a little mountain ridge to the east of Jerusalem and there's like a valley, the Kidron Valley and then it goes up to the city, the Temple Mount so when you're on the Mount of Olives you're looking over the, don't correct me if I'm wrong um, <laughs> to, to the city and on the other side of the Mount Olives is, Olives is the um, kind of the desert more uh, remote areas of the old city of Jerusalem during that period and so on the night before his death, uh, after the last, last Supper, they sang a hymn and Jesus and some of his disciples walked to the Mount of Olives. And now at the base of the Mount of Olives, there's a garden called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane in the Hebrew or the Aramaic means um, olive press. So Jesus was feeling a lot of pressure, you can imagine. He was under intense pressure at that time. And you wonder if he decided he wanted to go pray at the Mount of Olives because he was feeling like olives in a, 
in a press and sure enough on the Mount of Olives he has this praying experience of intense pressure and agony and like praying is not always a good feel-good thing I mean you know sometimes we bring our pain to God and we experience our pain more intensely but we have that experience in the presence of God and that, that can be a cathartic experience of praying and Jesus said he'd sweat drops of blood in the mount at the mount of olives so the setting is not incidental it's like the setting um, mediates certain kinds of experiences so what can we do with all this so I would like to suggest that we try making an intentional perspective shift from thinking of the outdoors as a space we hurry through on our way to somewhere else which is often like our common hurry you know experience of the outdoors to nudging our brains intentionally to regard the outdoors as a cathedral like outside is the outdoor cathedral the whole earth is a temple and so the experience is like being in a vast cathedral what if we nudged ourselves to regard nature the outdoors in that way I think it would affect our experience of the outdoor how we regard things how we think about them how we frame them affects how we experience them so there's um, there's some Psalms um, that do this Psalm uh, 8 is one and Psalm 19 is another and it's I'm, I'm just citing this as an example of how the Jewish people um, gave themselves a nurtured a perspective about nature which they didn't call nature they called it creation they didn't have a word for nature it was so it was a God connected term that described the outdoor world the heavens tell God's glory this is the Robert Alter my favorite and his handiwork sky declares day to day breathes utterance and night to night pronounces knowledge so there's a message in the outdoors for us and then there is no utterance and there are no words their voice is never heard yet through all the earth their voice goes out to the world's edge their words so it's like a paradox that the outdoors is speaking to us God is speaking to us through the outdoors but it's not the normal way it's not the normal kind of language it's not we don't hear like a literal voice or hear literal words but there's a message there's meaning conveyed through the outdoor space so this is what the psalmist is kind of like here's what to expect out there and then I like this one uh, it's kind of charming ancient image you have to go with it um, for the sun he set up a tent in them so for the sun God set up a tent in the in the heavens the sky and he the sun like a groom from his canopy comes so it's like from his marriage night presumably he had an enjoyable time and he's coming out of the canopy that's the sun rising and then exalts like a warrior running his course or like Usain Bolt or like a, a runner running his course kind of thing so this idea of the sun going through the sky being being full of like the vibrancy and the energy of this of this figure which is kind of unusual because the the Jewish people were pretty clear about not worshiping the sun but here they're personalizing 
the sun as this, this young man moving through the sky, all to like suggest, oh, we're, we're supposed to feel a sense of connection to the outdoors as human beings. So I think actually, maybe I'm more speaking for myself as much as anyone, um, I think I need like an active nudge in this direction because I, th I think our minds can often get really dulled uh, to the outdoors. Maybe you've caught yourself like being outdoors and, and you're like, you've been out there for a half hour or so and you realize I haven't paid any attention to what's out here whatsoever. I've just been in my own little world. I was reading something about, I've been trying to understand more um, addiction to smartphones because I've, I've spent too much time on my smartphone and, and he, it's like a Michigan thing in the winter. They say that indoor spaces are relatively boring for human beings, for the human brain, because there's not much going on. Like nothing moves except people. There aren't a lot of other creatures. It's a small space. The walls are painted like one color. And so it's actually kind of boring for the human mind. And so the vibrancy of screens in indoor spaces is like putting like a feast in front of a starving person, you know. Like if you've ever watched HDTV, the colors are brighter on HDTV than they are outside. You know, like as everything is like tuned up. And on your, on your smartphone, it's the same way. And so your brain is kind of starved for stimulation inside, but you've got this smartphone or this screen or this television, and so you're like, <gasps> you're, you get, and, but you need more and more. It's kind of an addictive process there. And so when we're in that mode of being inside, especially like in a long Michigan winter, and you go outside, you're kind of dull to the... Um, stimulation of the outdoor world. I, I liken it to like being a kid um, where, you know, maybe your family's uh, going in the family van to uh, a national park. You're going to Yosemite. And the kids are in the back seat with their, you know, looking on their iPhones or their iPad or their device, you know. And the parents are, look, we're in Yosemite. You know, like, look outside. And they're, yeah, 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 you know. And they're back. And then the parents later are like, you know, why do we even bring them? You know, they're just like casting our pearls before swine, you know, it's like, it's like they're, not, they're not appreciating that. And we can get into that kind of mode where we're not attentive to what's going on outdoors. So I want to suggest a prayer exercise for this that I learned when I um, took a five-day retreat uh, several years ago. I was uh, getting training in uh, being a spiritual director, and they made you take a five-day silent retreat. All the retreatants were together for like the orientation. That was going to be the only talking going on, that orientation. We were all scared, like how are we going to spend five days in silence? And they gave us an exercise that got us started that was like, whew, okay, I can do that. It was go outside, take a walk, and the retreat center had like a nice walking area. And they said, take a 40-minute walk, and during the first 10 minutes of the walk, just Focus your attention on what it is that you can see. So look around and pay attention to what you can see and, and, and focus through that sense of, of sight. And as your mind wanders to think about whatever you're thinking about, 
then just return your focus to the sights around you. So sight is usually the easiest sense for us to focus on as humans. So you spend 10 minutes of your walk just looking at, at things, paying attention to the visual cues, and then you do hearing. So that's kind of easy. 10 minutes of just paying attention to the sounds around you. As your mind wanders, return your focus to the sounds around you. And then I think the third was the, uh, what, uh, what you can feel on your skin. So, you know, you touch the bark of the tree, you touch leaves, and you, you sense the heat of the sun, and you feel what, is your, what data is your skin giving you? And then the final one is smell, which is not as developed in humans. So by that time, you're a little more tuned in to your senses, and you pay attention to the smells. And you just take a walk of 40, 40 minutes, spending 10 minutes on focused on each of those senses and it's remarkable how you just tune in to the outdoor world through that little exercise and it gives you a feel for what it's like to be uh, tuned in so I recommend that as a little practice another one is um, you've probably heard um, us recommend the Jesus prayer which is like the main meditative way of praying in the Eastern Orthodox tradition this is a prayer that you just repeat over and over, kind of like a, a mantra. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner, is the Jesus prayer in various forms. Um, the Jesus prayer, the, most, the thing that really um, popularized the Jesus prayer in the Eastern Orthodox world was a book called The Way of the Pilgrim. And The Way of the Pilgrim is just like the, kind of like the memoir of a monk who went walking around, I think in Russia, praying the Jesus prayer like all day long, but he was outside mainly, just outside walking, praying the Jesus prayer, and he got himself into like a pickled in God mystical state doing that. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner, while he was walking around outside. So you could try that, like actually for five minutes or ten minutes. Just take a walk in some nice natural setting and under your breath, pray the Jesus prayer. Or if you want to pray it out loud, put your AirPods in your thing or, your, or earbuds in and then it's like you're talking to a person but you're actually just praying the Jesus prayer and you're not, they don't take you to the hospital because you're just, you know, saying the Jesus prayer. So you can kind of hide yourself praying like that with, uh, with uh, or just have your phone, you know, like, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. It's... Uh, that's another thing you can try. So quite, let's have our, um, gave you two ideas that you can try. And let's uh, have our two or three minutes of uh, quiet reflection. And I think what we'll do is just a classic, what they call a um, Lectio Divina, which means divine reading. You take a simple text of scripture and you activate your imagination to imagine the scene that is depicted. And we'll use this one from Mark 135, uh, Jesus early in the morning. And this, I think, also takes advantage of uh, our imitative desire capacity. Like sometimes, if we don't have a natural desire or an original desire, we get the desire by watching someone else who has the desire. So if you see someone wanting something, you will want the thing the person wants. And so, this, I think, might help us to, to have a desire to pray outdoors as Jesus did, as we just picture it. So for the first minute, I will just uh, repeat the verse repetitively with little pauses between each phrase. 
and then for the second minute you can just go with the your memory of the verse so focus on the details of the with your imagination very early in the morning Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And just give yourself a minute with that. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Amen. <laughs>